morning, everybody, and thank you so much for being here with us today. And hey, if you're watching us online, thank you so much for joining us. And we're looking forward to seeing you in person uh, very, very soon. Hey, before we jump into uh, God's Word, can we just pray together? Would you just bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you, God, for the, just the truth of what we just sang that Jesus, you alone have conquered death and you alone are worthy of our worship and our praise. And so our, our heart's desire is to exalt you right now. And Lord, we pray for our country. Lord, we pray for our leaders. God, we pray for uh, healing in our nation. And uh, Father, I just pray that when there's so much that's unsettled and so much that is turbulent around us, that Lord Jesus, we uh, would look to you as our hope and our confidence, our strength. Uh, Father, I pray that you would bring about a national revival. Lord, surely you've been shaking our country, God. I pray that it would draw us to our knees and that God, we would experience a revival and awakening at your hand. And so we ask for this in your name. Now, Lord, just open our hearts, open our eyes, uh, to receive what you have for us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Amen. The uh, Winchester Mansion is a historical site uh, in, in San Jose, California, in the Bay Area of California. Uh, it was owned by uh, Sarah Winchester, who was the widow of William Winchester, the gun manufacturer. And she left the uh, East Coast and traveled all the way to the West Coast and she bought an eight-room farmhouse, this one right here, and she set about on a, a home improvement project, I guess is what you would call it, to expand that house. Now, she started about 1888, this was a couple years after her husband's death, and that home improvement project continued unabated, except for a brief period of time, unabated until she died in 1922. So if you're doing the math, that was a 38-year home improvement project, all right? How would you like to live in a home improvement project that went for 38 years? That, that's what she did. And so she took that eight-room house and expanded it, well, to what it looks like today, okay? The, the Winchester Mansion is uh, really an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, 224,000 square feet, 10,000 windows, if you can wrap your mind around that, uh, 160 rooms, 14 stairwells, uh, 17 uh, chimneys, six kitchens. I mean, this is a massive, sprawling mansion just built onto that original eight-room house. Now, not only is it big, but it's just kind of strange. The construction of it is, is rather odd and weird. There are, well, there are stairwells that lead to nowhere, all right? There are doors that open up on the second floor directly outside the building. I mean, there are just, there are windows that look not outside, but into another room. It's just weird construction, confusing construction. The rumor was that 
Mrs. Winchester believed that the ghost of the people who died as a result of her husband's business lived with her in the mansion. And so this mansion was really the, the inspiration for Disney's haunted mansion uh, ride that they have and then later on the movie that followed. Uh, but probably the, the weirdest thing about this mansion is simply the fact that out of decades of construction, it never had a blueprint. There was never a master plan. There was never any intentionality to it. In fact, uh, when they finished one part of it, then they would just sketch out a picture on a piece of paper and then start off on another. And so it was just very haphazard and chaotic and quite frankly, very confusing. If you visit it today, you can see that. Uh, now, I tell you that because in many times and in many ways, our world seems like that house. Very confusing. Things don't make sense, especially right now. All kinds of things that you read online and videos that you're watching stir up a lot of fear, a lot of confusion. I don't know what's true, what's not true. The world can seem like that house. Very disorienting. Uh, in fact, your own life can seem this way. If you live your life and you're just kind of, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to pursue that goal and then I'm going to try this hobby and I'm going to try there. You can go through your whole life and at the end of it, there's nothing congruent about it. In fact, it's just chaotic and confusing. But the good news is that God has a blueprint for life. And that blueprint for life is this book. That this book is a blueprint that God has for your marriage. It's a blueprint for raising children. It's a blueprint for doing your business. It's a blueprint for financial management. It's a blueprint for peace and direction in life. It's a blueprint for meaning in life, for dating, for relationships, for, for, for everything that impacts your life. God has written something for you as a blueprint for life. And here's the deal. The, the more you align your life along this blueprint, you build your life according to God's blueprint, the more stable and solid and healthy your life becomes. And to the degree that you veer off the blueprint, go, well, I don't need the blueprint, I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, to that degree, your life becomes chaotic and confusing. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you a little bit about God's blueprint for life, all right? You've heard the saying that a Bible falling apart is usually owned by someone who's not. And I believe that that's true. If you give your life to God's word, uh, then you will find a stable life that is fruitful and rewarding. So once you get your Bible, I want you to open it up to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is where we're going to land today. Last week, we talked about the essential of prayer. This week, we're talking about the essential of God's word. Psalm 19. So while you're turning there, let me just kind of give you an orientation to this psalm. Psalm 19 was originally authored by King David, the king of Israel. It was originally written as a song. So most of these were put to music and sung in temple worship. Psalm 19 is a beautiful song. And I wish I had time to teach the whole thing. I'm just going to teach a segment of it. But it's a beautiful psalm. The first, really it's, the whole psalm is about how God reveals himself to us. How God shows us who he is. And so the first six verses of the psalm tell us that God reveals himself to us in nature. So if you, when you look at the glory of the galaxies, the massive expanse of the universe, when you look at the intricacies of the human body, when you look at the intelligence in the design of creation, all of it points to an ultimate designer and creator. 
So that's what the first six verses are about. And then in verse 7, he says, God also reveals himself to us, not only in nature, but in Scripture. And so he talks about the importance of Scripture. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, that great uh, preacher from London, he said this. He said, quote, he is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work. And feels concerning them, my father wrote them both. In other words, what he's saying is God has given us a world book, all creation, and then he's given us a word book, the Bible, and when you look at these, you understand who God is, his divine nature, his eternal quality, so we are without excuse. And so God is revealing something to us, both in nature and in scripture. So what I want to do is just kind of do a deeper dive into only verses 7 through 11 this morning, okay? Just... Uh, verses 7 through 11 and we're going to read this together now let me just say uh, almost every time I read the scripture I don't know if you notice this I always say this is the word of God have you noticed that I'll say this is the word of God this is just an an affirmation a declaration that what we're reading is God's word Uh, but I think we're going to try something a little different more participatory all right so I'm going to say this is the word of God and you're going to say amen all right And, and that's just like that's right preacher or that you got that right I mean you could say that's right preacher but amen's shorter all right so here we go let's try this all right nudge your neighbor make sure they're ready here we go this is the word of God amen. yeah yeah now you want to say it with conviction right you want to go, amen you know no wimpy amens all right this is the word of God amen. there we go I love that uh, verse 7 the instruction of the Lord is perfect renewing one's life the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Now, what David is doing in this psalm is he's talking about the benefits of God's word. That as you read God's word, that there's a benefit to us if we will give ourselves to God's word, that God, it will benefit our lives. And so, uh, I want to just pour out a few of these, point out a few of these benefits. There are four of them. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Jot it down. That is the benefit of life. The benefit of life. Look at verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. Or look at your version. It might say converting the soul. Some versions put it that way. Other versions say restoring life. All right. So basically when you read God's word, it's going to be a source of life to you. So how is God's word a source of life? Well, obviously God's word is a source of life in the sense that it leads us to eternal life. It leads us to the gospel, right? That's where we begin. Uh, I have a friend of mine named Matt. Matt uh, grew up, went to high school in this area, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, He went off to college. uh, By his own admission, he really didn't give God much thought in college, just kind of had a good time. Uh, When he graduated from college, after a couple of victory laps, if you know what you know what I mean by that, uh, he finally graduates. He decides to move to the Caribbean, 
And so he spent some time just piloting yachts and sailboats in the Caribbean. I mean, he is just living his fullest life, carefree, not of trouble in the world, enjoying it on the beach. And uh, he was doing fine until eventually, at one point, his, his back started hurting. It became worse and worse and worse to the point that it was really crippling for him. He called his parents and they didn't know what was wrong. So they said, you got to come home and let's get this checked out. So they flew him back home here. He went to the hospital. Doctors were checking him out, trying to figure out what is this crippling pain in his back. And they really didn't know. And literally, he was flat on his back. That's the only place he could get any relief. And as he was laying flat on his back, God began to speak to him. He be began to remember uh, his past, his family heritage, his godly heritage, how he had been wavered from the Lord. He said, you know, when you're laying flat on your back, the only place you can look is up, right? And so he got a Bible and he started to read his, his Bible. And all of a sudden, the Bible just came alive to him. He started reading the Gospels and Jesus came alive to him and just became more compelling and more compelling till finally he said, one day after I was reading my Bible, I was convicted of my sin and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and to change me. And God not only changed his life, he also healed his back. And he turned his back on his old life and began to pursue Christ as his number one ambition. He later married a young godly girl from our church. And uh, now they're doing full-time ministry on a college campus, sharing the gospel, discipling people. I mean, his life was completely changed all by simply reading the word of God. The word of God brings life. That's why uh, Psalm 119.93 says, I will never forget your precepts, for you have given me life through them. So God's word brings life and salvation, but it also brings life when we're, when we're dry spiritually, when we're dull in our spiritual uh, pursuits, when, when our heart doesn't beat for God like it used to, when, we're, when we are apathetic to spiritual things. It's God's word that brings life. In fact, I want you to write in the margin of your Bible, right next to Psalm uh, uh, 19, verse 7, write Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Isaiah 55 says this, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven, and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout, providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I sent it to do. Now, I really appreciate uh, the weatherman predicting rain and snow today, all right? I appreciate that for my sermon. I appreciate that. Uh, but, they, you know, if you're we're west of here, you know, they're really getting it, all right? They're getting lots of snow. We're getting probably little traces, a little bit of rain. But, but this is a picture of God's word. So when you see rain, when you go out, when you see a little snow flurry, I want you to remember what the preacher said today, that the God says, that's what my word is like. When it rains, when it snows, when the ground is saturated with water, what does it do? It brings life, right? The grass is a little greener. The, the plants stand up a little taller. There, there's life to us. The lakes fill up. The, the ravines grow. All this happens because there's water coming to the earth to saturate the earth. And he said, that's what my word is. When my word goes out, it saturates the dry places. It brings life to the wasteful places, to the empty places. Listen, you may feel empty 
You may feel like, you know, I just, I'm just not as fired up for God as I used to be. I, I don't really hear God that much anymore. I don't really have a desire for God that much anymore. I don't really, things aren't the way they used to be when I first was a Christian. But listen, it can be. It can be. But what you have to do is you have to get under the, the pouring of God's word. You have to allow it to saturate your life. Not just to run off, oh yeah, I know that verse. Yeah, I've read that before. No, no, no. Allow it to saturate, to sink down below the surface, down into your heart and say, God, search my heart. God, teach me who you are. God, God, take these parched places in my life and saturate it with your word. Because when you do that, new life will spring up. He'll bring things back to life that you thought were dead. Interests that are back to life that you thought were long gone. See, God's word brings life to us. Second thing that he does, the second benefit is the benefit of wisdom. Look at verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The commands of the Lord are radiant, making the eyes light up. I love that. In fact, it can be translated light up, meaning gives light to my surroundings. Many times we need godly wisdom, right? We need somebody to turn the light on. I don't know. It's like I'm groping in the dark. I don't know what to do. And that is God's word. It brings light to us. You know, a couple of years ago, I, I bought this little booklet. It's about, you know, like that in size. And it only has the Proverbs and the Psalms in it. That's it. Proverbs were primarily written by King Solomon, the son of King David, who wrote predominantly the Psalms. And so it's a father-son combo, okay, right there. Psalms and Proverbs. One about mostly worship, one about wisdom. And, and so every morning when I get up, I'm, I'm reading through Psalms and the Proverbs, and I particularly love the Proverbs because they're wise sayings about all kinds of topics, right? About finances and about friendships and about dealing with certain kinds of people and how to make decisions and politics. I mean, just deals with all types of subjects, and this week I was reading in Proverbs 6. And this is what I read. See if this sounds familiar to you. For this command, which is God's word, is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life. He says that this book is, is like a light. Does that remind you of maybe what King David wrote in Psalm 119 when he said, your word is a light to my path and a lamp to my feet? Uh, th this idea that God's word is a light. Now, what do, what do we mean when God's word is a light? It's not a floodlight, all right? It's not going to light up everything about your life from now till you die. I mean, that would be cool, but, but God's wisdom, that's not how it works. It's not a floodlight. It is a flashlight, all right? It is just going to light up just the next step. Wisdom for the next step. Wisdom for the next decision. Wisdom for your next conversation with your kids. Wisdom for the choice you got to make at work that's going to have to be made on Monday. Wisdom for the next post that you make online. Wisdom for your next decision that's troubling you. It's wisdom. And that's what we need. We need divine insight into God's ways and God's purposes, not our own. Because without godly wisdom, what are you left with? Just wisdom that you got. And that's not that great. Let's just be honest. Your wisdom is not that wise. You know, God, God said in Isaiah 55, uh, my ways are higher than your ways. My ways are greater than your way. I see from a bigger picture than you see. So you need godly wisdom. And where do you get godly wisdom? Uh, you get it through his word. That's where you get it. 
So the more you spend time in God's word, the more you get godly wisdom for life. Wisdom to live a wise and prosperous life. So there's a benefit of life. There's a benefit of wisdom. Here's another one, a benefit of joy. I love this one. Look at verse eight. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. I love that. Just circle the word glad there. I love it. Every time you spend time in God's word, God begins to renew your heart with joy. There, there is joy in God's word, folks. There is lasting joy in God's word. You know, you think about happiness. Happiness is really based on what happens to you. Happiness based on what happens to you. Get that? But joy is deeper than that. In fact, let me give you a little definition of joy. Here it is. Joy is a settled delight in God that even the worst of circumstances can never take away from you. Joy is a settled delight in God a settled delight in God that even the worst of circumstances can never take away. And that delight in the Lord comes from time in God's word. Isaiah 55, I've mentioned it now several times, like water comes and brings life. He, he, says, he says, that's what my word is like. And then he goes on to say after that in verse 12, he said, indeed, you, you will go out with joy and be peacefully guided. In other words, if you give your life to this word, if you come under the, the, the pouring of God's word, if you allow it to saturate, not only are you going to gain wisdom, not only are you going to gain life, and he's going to restore and renew you spiritually, but listen, he's also going to give you joy in life. He's going to renew some joy in your life. When there's a lot of things in this world that want to take your joy away. Isn't it? There's a lot right now that wants to take your joy away. Where do you find joy? You know, King David, he, he loved God's word. He really, really did. You can't read Psalm 119. Just, by the way, I challenge you, your homework assignment is just to read Psalm 119, not Psalm 19. We're in 19 now. 119 is what I want you to read. It's the largest, longest Psalm in the Bible. It's, it's basically an alphabet Psalm. It takes the Hebrew alphabet and for every letter of the alphabet, it has a little section to it. And it's all about his love for God's word. He said, I love God's word from A to Z. From beginning to end, from, uh, I just love God's word. In fact, in one part, he says this, I have treasured your word in my heart. Think about that. He treasured God's word in his heart. In verse 14, he says, because he did that, I rejoice in the way revealed in your decree. I rejoice in what you're telling me. Verse 16, I delight in your statutes. Verse 47, he said, I delight in the commands which I love. You see, David said, this is my joy and my delight. This is a treasure to me. I I'm wondering if, if people asked about your love for God's word, if they would say, oh, they just love God's word, man. They just love it. God's speaking to them, the joy that God's word brings. Listen, let me, let me just talk, talk a little uh, pastor talk to you. Are, you. are you ready for this? You know I love you, right? There's a lot of stuff swirling around right now that will steal your joy away and fill you with fear and fill you with anxiety and anger and frustration Am I talking truth right now? 
And the only way you're going to get around that and through that is to turn those things off and open up this book. For this to be a joy and a delight to you. There's a lot of things out there that simply are not true. In fact, you find yourself in a place where you go, man, I don't know to watch that station or that station. I don't know to look at that podcast or this podcast. I don't know to listen to that or tweet or this way. I don't know what's true. Everything seems upside down. I can't trust anything. But you know what? I know there's one source that is absolutely true. And it's right here. You can trust it. It's reliable. So folks, now more than ever, Make this your delight. You know, when I was a young man, I would approach God's word more for what I was learning. I, just, I loved theology. I loved apologetics. I loved all that stuff. And I still do, of course. But I approached it more for what I could learn from God's word. But as I become an older man, yes, I know you don't believe it, but a little bit older, I don't approach it as much from what I learned from God's word as what I treasure to be true. Because every word, has been put to the test and every word is faithful and if I had a dying word for my children if God would give that to me I would put their hand on this book and I would say you love the Lord and you build your life according to this book because it will be a joy, a joy to you it will bring you life it will bring you wisdom it will bring you joy but there's one more benefit that I want to point out to you and that's in verse 9 and that's the benefit of satisfaction look at it the fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever the ordinances of the Lord are reliable I love that trustworthy altogether righteous they are more desirable than gold than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb in addition your sermon is warned by them and in keeping them there is an abundant reward Two things he points out that promise satisfaction, gold and honey, things you possess and things you experience, things you can own and things that you, uh, you take in that, that promise to, to satisfy you. And he said, both those things are going to fade away. You know, I've lived life long enough to know that just because that car commercial says if you drive this car, you're going to be super satisfied, that the minute you buy that car, you go, oh man, I got a payment, right? And then now I have a payment, but somebody door dinged me in the, in the parking garage, you know, and then, then I've got mechanical problems, and I, I thought this was supposed to satisfy me, and we know, obviously, that a car can't do that. What satisfies you in your deepest of hearts is only God. Only He can satisfy you. Only your relationship with Him can truly satisfy your soul. And, and so that's why your soul aches when you aren't walking with Him. That's why you try to fill that space with so many other things, but yet those things never satisfy. That's why you say, man, I, 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 I accomplished this great thing in my career. I accomplished this great thing financially, or I did that. And why am I so empty? It's because only God can satisfy your heart. Because that's how he made you. He made you for himself. And so here is David. He's saying, listen, God's word will satisfy you no matter what stage of life. Then he goes on to say, and if you give your life to this book, it will warn you of things to stay away from and it will reward you ultimately in life. You'll live a rewarded life. You know, this whole COVID um, experience has been 
painful for so many people. And many of you have lost loved ones, some, some of them directly to COVID, some of them uh, not directly. But because of the COVID restrictions, many people just, I mean, it's so heartbreaking. They, it can't be with the person they love in the hospital. You have a, a couple that have been married for 50 years and the husband's got to stay in his car in the parking lot while his wife's in the hospital. I mean, it's, you know, where family members can't get to their parent that's passing away. It's just, it's heart-wrenching, really. And many of you have walked through that. I was talking to a lady this week whose mother is about to pass away and she's not been able to be with her and it's just very emotional, very sad. And so I was talking with her about that and she said, oh, but pastor, you need to understand something about my mom though. She loved Jesus. She loved God's word. And she raised us to walk with God and she walked with God her whole life. She was married to one man and she gave herself to him and she, married, she loved one God and served him her whole life. And, and she, uh, to the very end, she lived a full, rich, abundant life and she's older now and she's gonna step into heaven. So we have great joy in that. And as I hung up that phone, I, I thought about that is a life that is rewarded, right? Isn't that, isn't that a reward? To say at the end of your life, there's no regrets. At the end of life, well, I, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd spent more time with the Lord. I wish I'd done more for him. I wish I'd lived on mission. I wish I'd made disciples. I wish I'd share my, to not have any regrets, but to say, you know what? I just lived my life with Jesus. And then one day I step from this world to the next and I go from singing part to singing full, from singing behind the veil to singing face to face, from being in this world of sin to being in his presence without it. Hey, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's the reward. And that's a life that this book promises, a life of reward if you give yourself to it. So all the way through this, David is telling us to build our life on God's word. So let me just give you just very quickly, maybe about a minute and a half here, a couple of things you can do to, to build your life on God's word. Very practically, almost obvious things, but yet we need to be reminded of the obvious things. Amen? Uh, so the number one thing you need to do is you need to read the Bible. You need to read God's word. You need to make it a daily practice to spend time in God's word every single day. Now, some people go, Pastor, I don't know really how to do that. It just seems so awkward for me. It's just so big. It's so intimidating. So this is why we put together this essential series because the divine devotions this week are going to teach you how to read the Bible in a way where God speaks to you directly every single day. Would you like to know that? You got to watch these devotions Monday through Friday. I'm not going to tell you now. You just got to log on and watch it yourself. But I guarantee you it'll be a blessing and will help you practically know how to read God's word so he speaks to you every single day. So read the scripture. Number two, you need to listen to Bible preaching. I remember when I was a college student growing, man, I would, I would put my Walkman in, I'm dating myself now, all right, and I'd put the tapes in, you know, the, remember those things called cassette tapes? Uh, anyway, I'm really dating, forget that, edit that out. Anyway, and then, and then I would just listen to Bible teaching all the time, and man, my heart just grew, and my, my mind grew because I was sitting under Bible, listen, you need to listen to the Bible preached, and probably just more than on Sunday. There, there, this is a benefit to you. Uh, you can go to, if you want to know our podcast, we have all of our sermons are on podcasts and you can go to any platform where you get your podcast and search for First Collierville and you can download sermons all throughout the week. But just to listen to the word of God is so vitally important. 
And then lastly, to study the Bible. To study it with people that are with you and around you. Study in community. That's why we have connect groups. Our connect groups right now are studying the book of Matthew. And they're studying a community and talking about it, how rich that is. So listen, you need to be around other people where you're studying God's word, you're reading God's word, you're listening to God's word, letting it move down, meditate in your heart so that it changes your heart and your life. Let me close with this last thing. When Jesus uh, wrapped up his sermon, so I'm gonna wrap up my sermon the way Jesus wrapped up his. He wrapped up his sermon on the mount. He basically gave this illustration. He said, if you take your life and you build it on the word of God, then you're like a man who builds a house on a rock. And when the storms of life come, and they will come, that that house will stand firm. But he said, but if you throw away the blueprint and you decide to write your own blueprint and you build your house on your own ways, it's like building a house on sand. And when those storms come, it will not stand. So what are you building your house on? What are you building your life on? What are you building your family on? Build it on God's word. The stability of God's word revealed to us. Because when you do, your life will stand. You will know him and you will glorify him. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Listen, you may be here today and you've never given your life to Christ. And that's your number one step is for you to give your life to Jesus. You say, well, pastor, I'm not really sure how to do that or what that means. Well, let me tell you. The simple gospel is this, that when we were wayward and sinful and separated from God because of our sin, God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. And Jesus came to show us the love of the Father, to show us how to live. But more importantly, he came to pay for our sin, for your sin and my sin. You see, it's our sin that separates us from God. It's our sin that keeps us from fulfilling our purpose. It's our sin that keeps us from the, the promise of heaven. And so Jesus Christ came to deal with our sin and the way he dealt with it is that he absorbed it on himself. So Jesus came, the perfect man, God man, and he came and he took on our sin. It was a great exchange. He took on our sin and he died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed, so we could be clean so that we could be right with God again. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. And he said, if anyone will come to me and confess their sin, he said, I will forgive them. I will wipe away all their offenses. I will remove it as far as the east is from the west. I will give you entrance into my eternal family that I will fill your life with purpose and meaning in this life and I'll give you heaven in the next so my friend have you done that have you taken that moment to give your life to Jesus Christ has he changed your life completely and if not then now's your chance right now you have an opportunity to start over you have an opportunity to put your past behind you. You have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. 
So I want to give you a chance to do that right now. If your heads are bowed, even if you're watching online, just bow your head with me. And if God is moving in your heart, if he's convicting you right now that you need Christ, then you just pray this prayer with me. God's, it's not magical words. God's looking at your heart. I'm just guiding you through it. Just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. And I have lost my way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again in power. So I'm asking you, please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please make me a new person. Today, I choose to follow you and to be your disciple. Thank you for your love for me. Father, I thank you so much that you loved us enough to send us Jesus, the Word of God. And you also loved it enough to give us the Scripture as the written Word of God. And that by this Scripture, we have life, we have wisdom, we have joy. We have satisfaction in this world. Lord, I pray that we would be, truly be people of the book, that this week we would uh, turn off some things that are stealing our joy and we would pour our heart into the very word of God that is unchanging, unalterable, altogether true and right and good. And that, Father, we would build our life on this blueprint of your word. Lord, that's what we want to do. Father, fill us with your spirit this week to go out with confidence and trusting in you and relying on your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.